we are heading into a new book study. Are you guys excited about that? I am. We're going into James. Uh, if you've been here long enough to remember the last time we preached James, raise your hand. That's why we're doing it again. Because I think there's about three or four families, right? I know there's a few more that didn't raise their hand or they're not here this Sunday. Uh, but it was a few years ago. And being in a military community, we have a lot of turnover, okay? We have a lot of families uh, that are uh, grounded here. They've dropped their roots here. We love you guys. You are so important to us. I don't think I would be doing this today if it wasn't for your families. That being said, we have a ton of families that are only here for a year, 18 months, two years, and then they're gone. And so when we hired on the new pastor, Brian Bruyer, if you've been lucky enough to meet him yet, you know how incredible he is. He said, I would love to preach through the book of James. And Kevin and I looked at each other like, hey, we did it a few years ago. Let's double check the calendar, make sure it's at least been a couple of years, which it was over that. But if that's where Brian wants to go, let's go. Let's, let's dive into that book. Uh, and, and Brian was excited about the opportunity of studying this book and having an opportunity to preach through it. And so, again, that's one of our, we, we try to go Old Testament, New Testament. If you're newer to the Grace Works, I'm kind of giving you a little bit of our, our, our philosophy or our strategy. We preach through entire books. We start in one, chapter one, verse one, we work all the way through it. We don't skip tough passages, we talk about them, right? And, and we just work our way through Bible books, and, and we just feel that that way we're preaching the entirety of God's word. And, and so then we try to go from no, New Testament to Old Testament, going back and forth. If we do a really, really long book uh, in one of either the new or the old, we might spend a little more time in the opposite. Try to really balance that out. Again, we want to show the value of the entirety of God's word, Old Testament and New Testament. So we just finished up the book of Malachi. Malachi was the last book in the Old Testament. When Malachi was done, when the, when the final uh, stroke of that pen was, was written and the prophet Malachi delivered his message, God was silent for about 400 years. And then Jesus Christ came. And so what an incredible book that was to study. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, and, and that's the book we just finished up. And now we're going to hop into James. And, and I'm really looking forward to this book study. I grew up in a, a good church. Uh, I loved my church. I loved going to my church. As a kid, I was taught the scriptures. Um, and so a lot of the truths that we talk about in church are things that I learned when I was younger, a lot younger. And I've never wavered on whether they're truth or not, even though sometimes in my heart it doesn't feel like they're truth or I might question my own reaction to God's goodness in you know, in spite of what I'm going through or the hardship that I'm going through or whatever. And, and I've worked through those naturally, just like a lot of you guys have. We know the truths of God. We learn the truths of God and we need to hold on to those truths. And, 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 and then that affects everything that we do, everything that we say, the way we respond, the way that we act. And, and so I grew up and I was blessed to be in a church that taught a lot of those biblical truths. Now, after I got out of that church and went to college, got married, started having kids, I started seeing more of those trials, those troubles, those testings that would come into our lives. Friends of mine have, have uh, fallen ill and maybe even to the point of death. 
you learn about tragedies. And, and as you grow into an adult, you start seeing those things firsthand. And that's where some of that testing of your faith comes into play. But I look back on my time at Central Baptist Church and the opportunity I had to learn God's word and the truths that were taught to me. And, 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 and then I could fall back on those during tough times because the truths don't change. And, and so today, as we jump into the book of James, um, we're going to see that we can pass the test of trials in our lives because of the truths of God that never change. We can pass the test in our lives because of God's truth that doesn't change. We're going to see a faith that works. You can see kind of our big idea for the book is faith that works. Again, we're not afraid of, of tough passages. Sometimes James is incorrectly used as a book uh, where people will say, you have to work for your faith. And we'll say, no, because of your faith, you need to do works. And we'll see that as we go through this book, that the book supports that. James is, is telling you your faith needs to produce good works. Not that if you want to be saved in the end, you need to do a certain amount of good works. Okay? So instead of dodging this book and saying, well, it can be controversial. There are some people that use this to promote a works-based salvation. We embrace it and say, no, no. James believed salvation was by faith alone. But once you've been given that gift, once you've received it, you grasp it, you hold on to it, now you need to get your butt to work. Okay? There is work that needs to be done as a Christian. And so we're going to see throughout the book of James that faith works. And we're going to look today at the idea that I can pass the test because of my faith in God. And I want you to live the kind of life that no matter how tough it is, no matter what this world throws at you, that you can stand in confidence that you know the truth, that at the end of the day, my faith doesn't change based on what happens to me or what's going on around me. And I'm telling you, when you find that, it's a great place to live in. It's a great place to move forward in. Faith Faith that works is so important to understand. My prayer is that you and I will desire to become disciples that pray and seek a faith that works. In my trials, may I pass the test of suffering and tribulations And that's my prayer for you guys also, that you would be the kind of disciple that stares at a trial, that stares at testing, that stares at trouble, and says, my faith won't be shaken because of that. So let's dive right into James chapter 1. We're just going to be looking at verses 1 to 8 today. So if you're following along in your own Bible... We're in James 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some back on our grab a Bible table. You're welcome to walk back there and grab one and make that your own. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we feel it's really important for you too. So you feel free to even do that now. Uh, or if you want to, you can just follow along on the screen. James chapter 1 is starting in verse 1. James, a servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So let's just pause there. We're going to talk a little bit about the background of James. And then throughout this series, we'll go back to some of the background stuff. So we might not spend as much time today as maybe we would on some of the other books where we kind of lay a foundation and then move forward. So um, first of all, we get a great introduction here. It's, it's short. It's to the point. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James in English, uh, or I should say James is the English translation of the name, the Hebrew name, Jacob. So uh, depending on what commentary you might pick up or even some Bibles, you could see this book of the Bible with the title Jacob, okay? Most translated, just like they translate everything else into English, and it's James. But Jacob was his Hebrew name. James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm probably not telling you uh, anything that you don't know already. Uh, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you probably know that James was the half-brother of Jesus, right? I don't know about you, but I had two brothers, right? And, and when my mom or dad would come into the room, if we had done something wrong, um, they would both very quickly say it was Mark, Right? So Daniel and Tim would both point at me. I don't know if they planned this. Tim was older. Daniel was younger. I don't know if this is a planned thing, but they would point at me and, po- and this is Mark. But can you imagine for a moment being James? Something goes awry in the house and mom walks into the room. Not very likely that James can point to Jesus and say it was his fault, right? So I think I had it bad. What do you think about James? I mean, James could never blame anything on his brother because his brother was perfect, right? His brother, his brother didn't mess up, right? His brother was the son of God, even as that young man, and, and, and he didn't mess up. And so the answer to who did it that Mary or Joseph was asking was always going to be James. Now, I don't think I, I like to joke around about my, my brothers and my sister being, you know, them being the favorites. My mom and dad come to this church, so they're sitting in the back row right now. My sister's here. So I gotta kinda be careful on what stories I tell, uh, any given Sunday, depending on who's here. But I was blessed to have an incredible family, but I still remember this sort of thing where we would point at each other, we would try to blame each other, because that's what kids do. And, and James, from what we can tell, and, and it's pretty well accepted uh, amongst the, the Christian community, he wasn't a big fan of his brother Jesus. And he did not believe that Jesus, uh, that the pre-crucified Jesus was never believed in by James. Uh, James did not follow his brother. He didn't follow his brother around. Um, and so he did not do that until after Jesus died on the cross, was buried, resurrected, and then appeared to him. Okay? Again, if somebody comes back from the dead, especially somebody that you saw dead, your brother, you mourned with your mom, right? And then three days later, He's, he's risen from the dead and now he's appearing to people, including you. James's life was changed. Okay. And so this is really cool. His self-identification here in these first couple of verses is so important. He says he's a servant of God, right? Which I think any good Jewish man would have said, even if they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Um, but he says, I'm a servant of God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is huge. James has met his brother, the Messiah. Before he had rejected that, now he has grabbed a hold of that. So James now believes in Jesus, acknowledges him uh, as Lord, and says, I am a servant of his. His life was changed. Now the contrast in the word servant and Lord uh, is very important. James again elevating Jesus, and then the half-brother that he always tried to blame but never got away with blaming, right? He, he, he elevates him and he puts himself into the rightful place of a follower of, of Jesus Christ. We are servants. We are called servants. And it's a beautiful thing to embrace that. And we see that here with James. Um, the, the book uh, is addressed to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. James is writing. He was a church leader in Jerusalem, okay? We see that a couple different places. Acts 15, Acts 21 talk about that. But James is writing this letter not only for the believers in Jerusalem, but he wants this to get out, okay? To the church all over. He knows that what he has to say here is very important. So the church that's been scattered, he wants to get this information out to. Now the church being scattered, this happened after Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 8. So we know about the dispersion. We know uh, that that was going on. But in God's providence, he used the dispersion, the scattering, to spread the gospel. Right? So they see a trial. They see a, a, a period of time that is bringing all of this trouble to them as a people, a dispersion, a scattering, and yet God used it to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, even early on in this book, the idea of the dispersion, we see the beauty of trials in our lives if we keep ourselves rooted in our faith. God used this to spread the gospel. And God's track record, if we allow him to be faithful to us and don't turn our back on him, is perfect. It's 100%. No matter what trial you're going through, no matter how terrible it seems, his faithfulness will show itself through. And we have to lean into that. Greetings, he says. Picking up in verse 2, which was read by Linda already, which was awesome that she, she had those things to say about it this morning. It goes hand in hand with what I was going to say. Uh, here James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There are a couple of things here we want to call out up front. Trials are inevitable, right? Amen? Trials are inevitable. No matter how small or big they might be, our lives are filled with trials. So it's a win, not an if, right? He said, when you meet trials, not if you meet trials, it's when. James is acknowledging up front, life is tough and life for a Christian is tough. It doesn't get easy just because you place your faith in Jesus Christ, right? So when, not if. He's talking about all kinds of trials, various kinds and I think sometimes we forget that as Christians. Sometimes we fall into a camp where we allow God to be the God of our trials when they're small. 
when little things happen. We try to see the best in them, but if something big happens in our lives, man, we immediately, man, we pull the parachute. We're trying to figure this out on our, our own. We're asking, where's God? And, and, and our, our faith is shaken. And yet here, James wants to acknowledge that there are various trials in our lives. They can be small, they can be tiny, and they can be life-shattering trials. And yet the truths remain the same. So James is talking about various kinds of trials, all kinds. And he addresses brothers, right? Brothers is the word that they use for men and women, but that were followers of Jesus Christ. So understand that when he's talking to the brothers, he is basically saying, all of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're in the family of God. I'm talking to you, right? This is a book written to you. So you're either coming out of a trial right now in your lives, you're in the middle of a trial right now, or you're about to head into a trial, If you're breathing, that is a truth for you. And I think you'll agree with that. I didn't make that up. Uh, when I, when I Googled that this week, there's about 15 different quotes of basically saying the same thing, right? It's, it's something that is understood and talked about, not even only in the Christian realm, but even in the secular world. You're probably in the middle of a trial right now, or you've just come out of one, or you're about to go into one. And so when I look at that and I read what James has written here in these first couple of verses, I go, this is a book that I need. Right? And I hope that you feel the same this morning. So the first thing I want to encourage, if you're a note taker, get those pencils out. Get them sharpened and get ready to get started. Today we're going to have four points. The first one is going to be decide on joy beforehand. Okay? I need a little bit of feedback here, a little bit of participation. One plus one equals? Thank you. These are not trick questions. Ten times 10 equals awesome. You guys are great. Let's throw one kind of tricky one out there. We're going to say 2000 divided by 10, 200 mathematical problems have an answer. No matter what the world tries to tell you now, mathematics work. A couple of my children, I have four children and a couple of them are really tuned towards mathematics. They love mathematics. And why do they love mathematics? Because there's an answer, right? There's an answer. We got the kids in here with us. I loved it. When I said one plus one, everybody out there, including the kids, they knew the answer is true. The answer is two. Right? And and so mathematically, there is an answer, and that's what's beautiful about mathematics. At least that's what I'm told by my two genius children who love mathematics. I'm not quite wired like they are, but I believe them, and I trust them. And here, James trusted that same thought process. Look what he says there. Count it all joy. That's the command. Okay? So for anybody who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, this is a command being given by the brother of Jesus, and we believe the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to say this. So this is a command by God. Count is an accounting term. It was then, and it is now. And it means to evaluate or add up. Right? Evaluate or add up. Count it all joy. Right? It's understood. 
that we know the math problem. Just like when I said one plus one equals two, we knew the answer to that. And if you're a Christian, you've got to get to the place where you can count it all joy when various trials come into your lives. And this can be as small as a trial could even be. Some people wouldn't even consider it a trial, and you know it's small, but it's still a trial, all the way to the big ones that are, are going to shake the foundation of your faith. James says, count it all joy. In other words, when you're going into a trial, or as soon as you encounter that trial, if you know it's coming, or if it just hits you in the face, right? We are to make an intelligent determination to count it all joy. We know what the answer is. The Christian in the midst of a trial, plus our faith in our perfect God equals a life of joy. No matter what the trial is. That blows people's minds that don't have faith. That doesn't make sense to people that don't have faith. Count it all joy. This isn't counting it with some whining. This is counting it all joy. One of the things that, that I, I equated this to, it's not really a trial, it's not really a trouble or a testing or a temptation, but for me, I love to go into the pantry and clean it out. I love getting rid of the stuff that's expired. I love finding that little candy bar that may have fallen behind a few other things that I was saving for some time and now I got it. Um, I love knowing what I have in there. I love, you know, making everything look as pretty as I can, right? I like doing that. And yet, when it needs to be done, I have a choice. When it needs to be done, every couple of weeks or month, whatever it might be, when that cleaning needs to be done, I have a choice of two things. I can go in with a positive attitude. I love doing this. It looks great when it's done. And and I'm going to go in, even though it's going to take me some time, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a positive attitude. Or I can grumble and I can mumble and I can be ticked off that I got to spend some time and that nobody else in the house keeps the pantry in order. So now I got to do it, right? I mean, I could have that bad attitude and yet everything stays the same. When I go in, I'm going to clean it and it's going to look great at the end. The only problem is I mumbled and grumbled the whole time instead of counting it joy. Now I know that is so weak compared to some of the trials that you might be in the middle of right now, but the truth is the same. The truth is the same. No matter what's going on in your life right now, you have a choice. I can do this. I can go through this Knowing that God is on my side and my joy is found in him and I'm determining ahead of time that I love him and that God is good and no matter what this world throws at me, right? Those truths stay the same. Mathematical equation. Or you can mumble and grumble even though in the end, you're going to find out that God is good, he is faithful, and he's been there the whole time. Facts don't change. Feelings can be deceptive. Facts don't change. The pantry needs to be clean and it's going to look great when I'm done, right? Those don't change. But my feelings during it can definitely change. They can be uh, different from one time to the next. And that's the same for us as we're going through trials. God wants us to be able to persevere 
in our joy. He wants us to be able to move forward in that. And so the second part of this, we know what the desired result is. How do we get there? James is going to say, be steadfast all the way through. Now, what exactly is steadfastness? Steadfastness is one of those words that you got to kind of think through. You got to kind of know what it means to understand what James is talking about here. So this is an example I've used before here. It's an example that we've used as a church to kind of get this process or this idea across. But a child going to the doctor that needs a shot, when they're young, they don't know what to do. They panic, they, they freeze up, and what do we have to do as a parent? We got to hold them down, right? We got to hold them down. We got to, we got to try to comfort them, but we got to hold them down because we know they need that shot, right? And those are tough things to do. As the child gets older, at some point, uh, in the, maybe it's even young adulthood or even older adulthood, they'll understand that I've got to sit here and I've got to take the pain. I got to be steadfast. I got to sit here. I can't move. I know what needs to come. Because the desired end result is me getting that shot. Okay? So steadfastness here, what James is talking about, is that idea that I know this is going to be tough. I've already experienced some of it. Maybe I've experienced this in the past. Maybe, you know, I've, I've, I've had a friend that's gone through this. I just know it's going to be tough. But I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit in the truth. And I'm going to be steadfast in the goodness of God. That I can have joy through this trial because of who God is. Not because of the circumstances going on around me. And, and you stay in that purposefully taking the pain. Because you know what's on the other side of the shot. Right? And, and so that's, that's one of those pictures that in my mind I get. Like, I don't want a shot. I don't want a needle in my arm. But I know that the desired result is on the other side of that shot. Various translations of this word are patience, perseverance, endurance. But there is an action that is behind this in the original writing. The way that it's written here, it's very active and it's forceful steadfastness is not easy, right? So again, before the trial, you have to decide, I will be steadfast. I will count it all joy. And you have to tune yourself to that sort of life before you go into the trial. You can't wait till you're in the middle of it, right? I mean, you can work on it. You can develop it. You can have friends come around you and encourage you in it. But the ideal time is before you go into that trial. Make the decision ahead of time. And that's what James is saying here. It speaks of tenacity and and the ability to stick to it. You know, you, you might have one of those friends that no matter what comes their way, man, they just stick to it. They grind it out. They get it accomplished. They get it done. Those are the best kind of friends to have around. Because they're going to make things happen. We won't pass the tests if we don't stay in the classroom and finish it, right? 
We got to stay in the classroom. Jesus uh, is, is given this information through the Holy Spirit to his brother that we need to be steadfast in our trials. We need to learn who God is. It's a mathematical equation. We know we can go through it with joy. And we need to be the kind of students to say, okay, I hear that. I receive it. I'm going to learn it. And I'm going to move forward in it. The word truly is amazing. It's that idea of purposefully staying in order to attain a desired result. And that's what God is calling us to. And notice that we must remain steadfast. Verse 4 says that we must let steadfastness have its full effect. Then we get the result that we're looking for, which is maturity. Maturity in our Christian walk. Let's continue on here in verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave tossed in the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so here we have this illustration uh, or this idea here of, of learning something and staying, sticking to it and understanding it, right? And as a student, it would be foolish for me to skip my classes all the time, come late, leave early, not show up at all, zone out during the lectures that I happen upon, and then expect to pass the test, all right? I know we have some students sitting out here this morning, right? You have to go to class. You have to learn. You have to take the truths that you're taught, and then you have to absorb them and allow them to change your mind so that you can recall them on the test, okay? That's what we have to do here. I hate it when people say, I hate tests. I hate teachers. Why are they making me take these tests, right? And yet, the teacher wants us to succeed. How many times have I heard from my own children, that teacher just wants me to fail? It's not true, right? I mean, there may be that one, okay? But we won't talk about that one. It's not true. So many of my friends are sitting out here today, right now, that are teachers. You want the children, you want your students, these young adults, to pass the test, to understand it, to succeed, Right? It's not that God doesn't want you to learn these things or doesn't want you to be able to live through it. He does. He wants you to know this. Nothing can be further from the truth. Your teacher's goal is to educate you so that you absorb the material, that you master it, that you recall it. And that's what God wants for us. You and I. And some of you may be going, well, I wasn't, I, I wasn't expecting to be back into school. But we are. We're in school. The school of life. And you and I need to learn these lessons. We need to absorb them. We need to move forward in them. God is the source of all wisdom regarding your trial. So a third of you that are in the trial right now, remember the other third of us are about to go in, the other third of us have just come out of one, but the third of you that are in that trial right now, God is the source of all wisdom in it. You have to know that. You have to believe that. He knows why you're going through it. He knows how you can get through it. He knows the end result. Go to him. He is the perfect professor, right? And he is there to teach you. 
Why would we curse God during our trials? Why would we demonize him? Why would we say he's not a loving God when we clearly know that he is and he wants us to grow and mature? And that's what trials and testing are for. And as we grow in maturity, we can get to the place where we can ask confidently, right? We can ask confidently knowing that he will give to us. It says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. He's the kind of teacher you want. When you go up after class and you say, you got a minute, I need to, I need a little more explanation there. He always has time for you, right? He will respond. And so we need to be the kind of people that will approach him in prayer, asking for wisdom, I know a lot of you pray. I know a lot of you contact me. How can we be praying for the church? How can we be praying for you? And, and I appreciate that. And, 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 and I love that. And I love being able to have people come around me and pray for the same things that I'm praying for. But when you pray, you need to be praying for yourself. And you need to be praying for those you love and around you too for wisdom. Because James says, if you, if you lack in wisdom, ask God who gives generously. Pray for it. When was the last time you prayed for wisdom for yourself or someone that you love? The last point we're going to look at today is persevere in faith. As we build up on all of these things, we get to the place where now we are called to move forward. James says that the one without this confident hope in God is like what? A boat being tossed around on the sea, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't had a lot of experience being on a boat that's been tossed around. So I had to go all the way back to my junior high days when I was thinking about this. I went to Lake Retreat Camp up in Ravensdale, Washington, right? You drive all the way up there past Covington, past Ravensdale, Four Corners, Washington. You keep going, and then you find this beautiful lake. And one of the summers, they had these little sailboats, and I was stupid, I mean, smart enough to get myself on the list. And I was able to go out in this sailboat. And a little wind came up. And believe me, I'm telling you, it was a little wind. But in my mind, it was crazy. And I couldn't control the sail. And I felt like the boat was going over. And it, it, it scarred me. It scarred me. I'm not going out in too many boats anymore. But that's what James is talking about here. Is, is, is a man who doesn't persevere in his faith is like a ship being tossed around by the wind on the sea we need an anchor one that we can throw deep and that anchor is Jesus Christ we need to know we need to have confidence our faith is grounded to that chain with a big anchor that's not going to be moved and no matter how much we're tossed and turned we know that we can stay on that boat because our anchor is sure James is likening a person lacking in faith. Not doesn't have faith, lacking in faith. This is a believer. But one that is lacking in faith, that complete trust or confidence in God to a wind-tossed wave. The ship that's just tossing around without purpose, without meaning, without direction. They don't trust the teacher. They don't trust the process. Then they lack faith to believe that God will 
Give them wisdom in regards to the trial that they're going through. And yet God has said, I will give generously to my children. In essence, this person is ruled by circumstance. When things are good, God is good. When things are bad, God is bad. He must be mad at me. Or he's a mean God. But faith is different. Much like joy that we talked about at the beginning, that is different than happiness. When you're going through a trial, it doesn't mean you have to be happy. But joy and happiness aren't the same thing. Joy we find in our relationship with God. And that doesn't change no matter what's going on in our life. And yet, happiness, how we feel about it, I'm not always happy to clean the pantry, but I can go in with a good attitude. And our attitude can be affected by our outlook on joy. Faith is a decision of the mind and of the will. We know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We see that in Hebrews 11. Our faith needs to be grounded so that we can pass the test, all the tests that are thrown to us by this world. So we need to decide on joy beforehand. We need to be steadfast all the way through. We need to know that we are purposefully sitting in the truth of God and his faithfulness no matter what the world throws at us. We need to pray for wisdom because God wants to give it to us generously. And we need to persevere in our faith. I look forward to the study in James and and all the things that we're going to be able to learn as we look at how our faith should work out in our day-to-day life.